Welcome to episode 63 of the Brown and Black Podcast. My name is Jack Rico. And I'm Mike Sargent. And every week we take a look at race and pop culture through a brown and black lens. Mike, we promised everybody a Halloween episode. We loved doing our Hollywood episode in 2020 so much that we decided to continue the tradition now. And we have with us today the founder-in-chief of LatinoHorror.com, Edwin Pagan. He's known within the industry to really know his Latino horror movies, man. I think he's like the authority when it comes to understanding the industry, the the movies, which are the better ones. So we had a chance to talk to him, but Mike, it is Halloween and America is a whole horror movie all on its own. How do you feel about Halloween? Is it a holiday that you've always liked? What's your tradition for Halloween? Well, my tradition for Halloween has changed over time. I, I, I used to love Halloween. You know, I could show you photos of me at various Halloweens in my youth where, you know, I did different things and Halloween doesn't mean that much to me anymore. You know, as a, as an adult, I, it's sort of like new year's new year's takes on a different meaning as you get older in terms of what you want to do when you're younger, you want to be at a big, big party with a lot of strangers. When you're older, you're like, yeah, I'd rather be with somebody that I really love, you know, or somebody I really. Yeah. My father's more like, it's seven o'clock, New Year's Eve. I'm going to bed. I'm like, Papi, pero por qué tú estás tan viejo? Why are you so old about stuff like this? Why seven? Take it at least to 11, 11 right, and exactly, then call exactly. it a night. But damn, seven. So, I mean, you know, I, I do like or I used to like Halloween quite a bit. Uh, I don't really go out in costume anymore, but I was known to do some outrageous things on Halloween. I have an interesting Halloween past. I have Halloween stories. Yes, I do. What about you? What's your take on Halloween? Do you love Halloween? Do you, I've never seen you in a, in, in a costume. Are there Jack Rico in costume pics out there? Yeah. There's an Instagram. If you go to my Instagram page, at some point in the last 10 years, I, I, I went to a Bette Midler Halloween. Wait, did you dress party. as Bette Midler? I, <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> me looking like bet midler oh my god that's a sight to see i don't know i don't think i can i can uh but i remember i went to that party man and it's it's interesting just to see how colombians in colombia do halloween first of all there is no halloween in colombia what am i saying but it's interesting how latinos do their Halloweens, how they celebrate their Halloweens versus white people, how they celebrated. I want to ask you about how black people celebrate their Halloweens. But I remember growing up uh, around the block in Jackson Heights, brown and black people, we used to go egging. We used to buy eggs at the Korean shop, at the Korean bodega. And we used to just grab <laughs> all these eggs. And it's funny because the Korean guys used to be like, you know, why are you guys uh, buying so many eggs? What are you doing with the eggs? And we would take those eggs and we would bomb uh, cars, houses, windows. And it's usually people that we were pegging like we were 
like they had distance or something like, you know, we weren't very happy with. And eventually the cops started to get involved and it just got way more violent than what it should have. And that's when I was like, I got to get out of here, man. So we stopped doing that. And I didn't really celebrate Halloween outside of watching a Halloween movie. Then I found out that Halloween movies don't do well at the box office on Halloween, which is weird. Then I go to this Bette Midler and I'm like, wow, it's interesting how white people celebrate it. Dude, they celebrate it like the movies. Hello, darling. Hi. Look at my costume here. Oh, wow. Look at you. Are you dressed as a bug? That's horror? Oh, And it's just very funny. It's like being in a Woody Allen movie or they're very American traditional Halloween. Here's the elite, the 1%, the celebrities hanging by them. We don't do any of that. So that to me was like a memorable experience. And to be honest with you, I don't celebrate at all Halloween anymore. I don't dress up. I do like to watch a Halloween movie, like a horror movie, like on Halloween. I don't mind doing it. So I think that what you're talking about is a very, that's not just white folks. That's white folks with money. <laughs> that is true. That is true. And I saw a meme recently that uh, addressing that saying like, uh, hello, celebrity. We're not impressed that you bought the actual alien predator outfit for <laughs> your party i'm not impressed with that thank you hello okay and and you know that's that's an interesting thing because people who have money can spend that kind of money you know i grew up now i clearly because i really want to know the age range at which you were throwing these eggs uh Uh, 13 to 14 i see 13 to 14 you know my i I did not have parents that would have let that shit go down (laughs) but you know when i was a kid uh, i looking back at photos I, i never thought about it but i look my dad who was an artist and an art teacher, eventually became principal. He used to make our costumes. And and I didn't realize it until like, you know, I got older and I'm looking at all these and I'm like, these are homemade Halloween costumes. I was a cowboy. My sister was whatever, you know, that, so there are a bunch of those. So that's kind of interesting. And my dad was clearly super crafty as they say today, but within an African-American family, well, what's Halloween for an African-American family, African-American family in what kind of neighborhood I grew up in a very suburban neighborhood. So for me, Halloween as a kid was going around trick or treating and going Got to it. So trick or treating was your thing. Trick or treating was my thing when I was a kid. I did trick or treating within the block, but then at some point, you know, they were kidnapping kids right, and shit well, like that. So you know, we stopped doing that. The, I didn't live where they kidnapped kids, thank goodness. But uh, I, did, I lived in Queens Village. That was my area, Queens Village. And so we, it's interesting that we both grew up in Queens. But so I was in Queens Village, and that's right next to Long Island. And it was pretty suburban where I was. And we did that. But then by the time I became a teenager, Halloween took on a different form and i went to the high school of art and design kids come to school dressed full costume all day sitting in class there's the devil you know whatever it is so uh you know hanging out with artists you know who who and artisans as it were who make their own costumes is a whole other thing so it was really about the costumes it was really about doing something interesting but over time like yourself that lost some luster you know, as a dad, you know, Halloween became a different thing, you know, going out with my daughter and, you know, and the Halloween and trick-or-treating. And, you know, when you live in the city, what do you do? I would go to my cousin who lived in a very nice building and trick-or-treat in her building. But I think Halloween is different depending on where you live, not just on your culture, but the class and where you live. 
that that's my take on it in terms of kid to teenagehood because the egging thing dude i can't even imagine having gone out and gone egging oh it it was it, it was crazy but then you know the cops <clears throat> really gave it that seriousness that this isn't just a a game anymore this isn't play this isn't fun anymore this is serious we can go to jail because of this so that's when we stopped um but you know before we go to the edwin pagan interview um I wanted to ask you about what's happening with South Korean horror film. You know, Parasite is a horror film and so is Squid Games. And these horror stories that are coming from that, that America's having such a passionate love affair with. Mike, what is the future of diversity and horrors in Hollywood? Because anybody outside of Hollywood can make it, but Everybody seems to be like, if, if it's done in Hollywood, then it's the de facto default standard. This is how it should be presented through Hollywood. How deep into the diversity hole are we getting into in five to 10 years? Well, that's a good question. I, I tend to believe now, you, you know, you're preaching, you're, you're, you're asking this of someone who's somewhat biased. And I believe science fiction and horror. You know, if you look at and, and I was having this conversation with somebody about the top, you know, 10, 20 films, most money making of all time. They're all, you know, science fiction, fantasy, you know, cartoons. They're all escape. That was me, Mike. That was you. All right. Well, <laughs> I, all right. That was you. Was that you? OK, now. That was last at, episode. All right. Last episode. But guess what? After we finished that episode, I kept looking at the list. It's not just the top 10. It's not just the top 20. It's not the top 50. It's the top 100 films of all time are all science fiction fantasy horror. Top 100 films on the planet. Now we're at a point where this is not about markets. This is about human beings. What kind of stories are human beings gravitating towards? What kind of stories do we love to hear? Do we love to see? Do we like, where do we, what do we look for when we hear stories? Are we looking for morality tales? I don't know. But I do think science fiction and horror, you know, similar to comedy for me, have that ability to talk about things that are otherwise not necessarily unspeakable, but hard to talk about that are difficult to talk about that we don't necessarily want to address. You know, one of the things we talk about with uh, Edwin is some of the themes of horror films, specifically Latino horror films that deal with real life, real time issues. So my belief is that we've seen enough of a certain kind of horror film, a certain kind of science fiction, even though, quote unquote, there's diversity, we've seen enough of a certain kind of story that has a certain kind of message. I think there is a lot more to be said. And I think allowing us, and I think just like uh, Brown and Blacks have in every other aspect of human endeavor, sports, science, architecture, poetry, you name it, we will we will excel and we will dominate. So that's my prediction, is that we will rule. We will excel. <laughs> and with that said, here's an interview with Edwin Pagan.
All right, so we are here with a very special guest for Halloween. We're here with Edwin Pagan, who is the founder-in-chief of Latin Horror. Edwin, welcome to Brown and Black. Thank you for having me, uh, Mike and Jack. I'm, I'm honored to be part of the uh, the the cast. Well, you're, you're part of the cast, part of the conversation. Well, right. we, we did a Halloween show last year. It was very popular. And one of the topics we wanted to talk about this year is not just horror, you know, it's scary time, it's Halloween, but horror is really, in my opinion, in a renaissance right now. This is some of the best horror movies have come out in the last 10 years. But more importantly, there's been a rise in Latino horror, in black horror. And so just first, tell me a little bit about your website. What is Latin horror? You know, what is latinhorror.com? Yeah, well, LatinHorror.com is a space um, for Latin uh, horror files that basically love horror, but specifically films made by Latinos um, from, you know, from around the, the globe who sort of venture in, in the genre of horror. And specifically, I would say, because a lot of people ask me uh, to kind of break it down, I'll use a, a kind of a description that Guillermo del Toro uh, sort of threw out a handful of years ago, where he said that the comparison to American horror or other horror is that um, Latin horror uh, attempts to destroy the mind and the soul. So it's about the suspense. Um, it's about character development. And general American horror is more about the physical destroying the physical, right? Slasher films and everything. You know, I would categorize a Latin horror film if it's written by, directed, um, produced, and, and including cast. There's a lot of films that have come out um, that some people would say uh, they're Latin horror, but they're not because they're, they're not produced uh, by Latinos. They may have a cast member in it but they aren't sort of the power base of how the movie was made was not with Latinos. And it also has to be grounded in our culture, right? For it to be really um, within that trope. Um, Edwin, you know, for us recently, uh, the Nielsen, a Nielsen report came out saying, I, I think it was just like two days ago where there was this ho ho Hollywood diversity report mm -hmm. that talked about how, Latinos love horror movies probably more than any other demographic within the United States. And this is something that we've all kind of known, but it's great to always see stats that confirm that. Not only are we the number one movie going demographic, but we also love horrors. And every horror movie that seems to come out anytime in Hollywood, we seem to over index on that. That's cool. Why do you think, why do you think in particular the Latinx, you know, the Hispanic community? Why do we love horror films so much? It's scary as hell. Do we have like a death wish that we love pain and we love to cry? And we love to be, what, what is it? Because it's to a certain extent, no one seems to match us when it comes to our likes for horror. That films. is correct. That is That's a damn good question. I really want to know your answer, Edward. Well, here are a few things. And, and this is, I mean, this report just came out. I did see it, but I just had this conversation, um, uh, with Bloom from Bloom House uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, because I interviewed him, he produced a film, uh, Halloween Kills, and uh, through the indexing of his own, um, you know, back end with Netflix, and he said the same thing. The Hispanic films that were sort of being put up by Bloom House, uh, Jason uh, Blum said, 
uh, doing very well. And, and I had asked him why it was that he had sort of taken um, the risk of sort of like starting to put out films, particularly for TV, the, the TV end of their brand. And he said it's a, it makes perfect sense because of that very fact, right? Um, and I think we love horror films, particularly because I think it has a lot to do with our, our religion, our religious base. Uh, a majority of Latinos, Hispanics are Catholic. And I think, you know, going against the grain of that and, and sort of um, going against that upbringing sort of helps do that. It's no different than when you're told you have to be good and you're always doing the reverse. But I know that I've been I've been into horror films since I was about ten years old. Um, I my mother had sent me one time on a on a date with my sister who's about eighteen years older than me, and she basically said, "If you guys want to go to the movies, you got to take Edwin." And right, you know that he ultimately became the father of three of her kids. But back then they were dating and they just wanted to go out, so they took me along. And the first film that I saw was Tales of the Crypt. Uh, it was the British version with Joan Collins, and I remember just being sort of taken entirely uh, into the film. And a couple of years after that, they took me again to a drive-in movie and the, and the, and the film that they were playing was The Exorcist. And, and, and I was completely drawn into it. But I think to answer your question, I think it has a lot to do with the way we're brought up with our folkloric traditions and wives' tales that sort of are embedded in our culture, like El Cuco, La Llorona, all of those folk tales that are more sort of cautionary tales for young kids. Um, it's really a way to keep us in line. But when they tell you El Cuco is going to get you, which my mother, I remember my mother telling me as a child, they don't tell you what El Cuco looks like, right? They leave it up to your own imagination. And so you fill in the blanks. So all of a sudden, El Cuco, which is really a boogeyman, um, become whatever you're the most afraid of. You fill in the blanks. You you develop the, the, the sort of aesthetics for this, this unknown creature, right? And so that goes in there. And it's also a lot in our literature. And I would say that the other sort of cultural genre that's in sync with ours is Japanese horror. And the reason for that is that the same way that in their culture, if you look at Japanese horror films, there'll be a ghost or there'll be some sub creature. We never negate that it exists, right? There isn't like in American films, you know, the bodies are hitting the floor and everybody's still pretending there's nothing to see here. Everything's fine. Let's go to the cabin and have some more sex. And either Japanese or Latin horror film, you know, we from frame one, we leave that something's out there. We want to know what it is, why it's after us, why it's messing with us. We want to mitigate the issue or we want to know what's going on, right? But we're not sort of like uh, like negating that it happens. And that has a lot to do with our cultural upbringing. So we're, we're sort of, you know, uh, born with the notion that there's there's other spiritual beings you know, the saints that we we sort of worship um, on that level. So we always believe that there's more out there um, than just some sort of like physical being that's coming to get you. We think that there's also another dimension of spirits and and demons and, and devils. And, you know, and fear is actually, a, it's a good emotion, right? We all have the fight or flight impulse embedded in us, right, from, from like millennia of, of uh, evolution, but we, we like to experience that, even if it's for 90 minutes or 120 minutes, we like to experience that in a dark cinema um, with our best friends and, and just strangers all sort of coming together, experience the same sort of thrills and chill and chills at the very same time. To me, and I love your answer about why Latinos, like you said, over-index for horror films, because what you're really saying, what I hear you saying is that 
uh, horror films, our taste in horror films, our predilection to horror films has to do with, you know, what we're afraid of. And I, I break horror films into two categories, really. There's the supernatural horror, you know, something, you know, supernatural evil is, is coming to get you uh, or do something bad. And then there's the evil human horror. And what's interesting is that what we've seen a lot of and what's predominant in American culture is the evil human horror. And and I think you could read a lot into that versus all these other cultures that don't have, let's just say, the kind of history the Europeans have in terms of the horror they've inflicted, that that what they're afraid of is what lies within them versus other cultures are afraid of what they don't know, you know? So, so I think that that's interesting, but, but here's my, my question now, you know, Jack and I talk a lot here on the show about how dominant Latinos are in so many ways in our culture, yet invisible, which is, it's just ironic, you know, like they're, everything you deal with with the government asks you if you want to talk in Spanish or English yet, you know, all these other things. So my question to you is just in terms of uh, the power of of horror movies and and why people go and whatnot right now we're seeing this this like i said this age where horror movies really can be not just supernatural or evil human but have social commentary where do you think both latin horror and, and black horror will fit into being able to tell now that you know now that we're we're seeing these films become more mainstream we're seeing more of them where do you what do you think could happen or will happen when we're now telling stories? Well, there's a, there's a few things, and I just want to back that up uh, a minute because I think one of the things that um, that is true about uh, hor- the horror genre, un- unlike the other genres or subgenres, is that horror has captures or tr- traditionally captured uh, the zeitgeist of the time more than any other genre, more than the Western, more than, than, than you know, sort of romantic comedies. If you go back and you look at the after World War II and we got into the Cold War, all of a sudden all these science fiction and horror movies came out about flying saucers. Uh, when we were afraid about the atomic bomb, all of a sudden we had these giant, uh, you know, sort of spiders coming to get the get us with them. And, and one time, um, uh, George Romero was asked, what was Night of the Living Dead about? And he simply said, it was about the man, the man, as in government, as in control. And so the zombies coming to get the average person in their home was about the intrusion of government overstepping at, at all costs within your life, right? This, this creature, this other that was coming to sort of wreck, uh, wreck havoc on your life. If you go forward now to your question uh, with, uh, you know, folks doing films now, both that are sort of making inroads like Guillermo del Toro and others, you'll see that it is it is a good time to sort of capture uh, what is part of everyday society, right? And, and that's not something by coincidence. I think people have made very um, intentional roads. And I think, you know, it, it goes back to the base, the base of what they say, what, you know, like when you're writing as a, as, a, as a screenwriter or as even as a writer, they say write about what you know. And I think our, our realities end up coming uh, to the fore in a lot of movies that we do. So you'll see that in urban films, you'll see that in documentaries, right? If, they're, if you're sort of from the West Coast and you're Chicano or Mexican, a lot of documentaries about crossing the border, uh, immigration, et cetera. But in our, our reality, they're about what happens around us, about being abused, about sort of being 
you know, you see us and you see those films, they sort of give that message about what we've gone through in American society and how we're sort of like below ground to some degree. Um, and I think that's going to continue uh, to come out for, we don't have anybody on that level yet that's come to the fore to do that sort of, you know, that level of film. But in, 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 in African-American culture, for, for, for sure, there is an explosion at the moment where there is a lot of, um, even if it started uh, because of commercial reasons, I think it's going to give a lot of artists um, the ability through the genre to sort of like bring uh, stories to the fore that, um, that, that reflect our reality and our, our, you know, the things that sort of disturb us. Um, this coming Friday, I'm actually doing a panel in, in the Bronx uh, where we're sort of focusing on films, horror films that have covered uh, gentrification as a subject. Uh, you know, so we're, we're, we're showing The Wolfen. Uh, Bobby Sanabra, who's a, a very well-known jazz musician, has actually took out the track and he's going to sort of play the, the music uh, over it um, based on, on with his band, like in the 1920s silent films. And we'll be comparing it to other films, you know, like Get Out, like, um, you know, Us, um, the wolf in itself. There's an old film called Escape from the Wow, Wolfen. Hold on, you, dude. You're bringing me back, Wolfen with with Wolfen. That's Rob Botin. Orion Pictures presents Wolfen. For centuries, they have been hiding in the rubble of your cities. The concealed threat. The invisible terror. Chris! They can sense the rhythm of your blood. Hear clouds pass overhead. See where you are blind. A force so deadly will tear the screen from your throat. Wherever you are, they are. Somewhere in the world, every other day, a corporate executive is assassinated. Team her up with Wilson. There's not a trace, not a speck of metal. Nothing softer could have ripped and ravaged like this. Is it an animal? Well, it ain't human. Do you realize how many people disappear without a trace? Something out there might be eating people. Did you hear that? Yeah, get out of there! What do you think it was? You were being lured. We were being separated. By what? The carnivore. You got yourself some kind of meat eater. Meat eater, meat eater, meat eater. What is it? It's Wolfen. They're all men. That's just me geeking out. Rob Bottin is like the special effects guy. He was a protege of Rick Baker. He did the thing. Uh, yeah, okay, no, that's cool. Yeah, that's how we are about these things. But, you know, those films, all of those films 
were about sort of like things uh, uprooting what was naturally there, whether it was a Native American or whether it was present day someone living. There's a film that Netflix picked up last year, which was uh, Vampires versus the Bronx. What's popping, y'all? It's your girl Gloria coming at you live. If you see a kid that's riding a bike two sizes too big for him, that's his little man trying to save the neighborhood. And speaking of saving the neighborhood, what's up with all these missing person flyers? Yo. Check out the courthouse. They're turning it into apartments? Y'all know how this starts. Them white people with canvas bags? That's always the first sign. Hey, what you doing down here, bro? It's too late to fight back now. We are going to wipe you out like the vermin you are. We got vampires in the Bronx. Nobody gonna care that Slim disappeared. Why? Because he's a gangbanger? Nah, homie. Because he's from the Bronx, like us. There's a lot of things happening in this neighborhood right now. Keep your eyes open. All right. Yo, that was mad vague, dog. What do you uh, do for work? Real estate. Are you seriously out at night when you know there's a couple of vampires running around? We're gonna need some garlic and some wooden steaks, like right the hell now. Going to the nest and take out every last one of them. One night with you guys and I already have vampires and thugs trying to kill me. And in that, the development that was coming into the South Bronx uh, was, you know, of course they were buying up the property, but then these young kids that are sort of like, uh, you know, like something from Scooby-Doo end up sort of finding out that these these developers that are picking up the properties are vampires. So not only are they taking the land, but they're taking it so they can sort of like terraform the South Bronx for their own sort of breeding ground, you know, and uh, disguise as, as developers. So that was interesting the way that director sort of uh, used that for that, um, that movie, um, from the seventies and actually in, in, in escape from the Bronx, um, you see the real Bronx as it was back then. Cause it was shot during that period. And in that movie, a sort of mega corporation has been hired to come into the Bronx and remove all the residents and, and ship us to New Mexico so that they can take the land and make it like this new Nirvana for, for the rich and wealthy. And they're actually like even machine gunning people, throwing them out windows and, and flame throwing them to death. So we'll be going over that. And, and it's just interesting, you know, so the zeitgeist of, of our culture has always been sort of captured in the horror, you know, more than any other. So it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what continues to happen. And I'm actually really, really excited about what's happened, um, you know, after get out and everything where there is a big uh, magnifying glass on, on, you know, African-American and black culture sort of doing horror not that it's a new thing, but it wasn't sort of like being elevated as it is now. The only the only thing, and I've had this this conversation with Warrington Harlan, who's a friend of mine, um, he that where we said, you know, we got to be careful that it doesn't become another cycle of black exploitation, right? Because since it's since there's business to be had, who is going to be coming in to do these films? You know, Jordan Peele has it right that he's producing his own content and actually then even going further and and, and allowing other. Uh, people to get in, right? Because that's the thing. Do we do we when when we get to the top? Do we just sit there, or do we bring other people other people in? And he did that already with Nia Da Costa, uh, who did Candyman. 
you know, and, and, and that's a film that goes back and has a deep roots in, in gentrification. When you go back to the first film, it was about that. And in the one that she just directed, her spin on it, it's specifically about gentrification, right? It's about properties that have now been built, these mega sort of wealthy towers, and what used to be, you know, the, the projects there, Cabrini Green, you know? And so, you know, already we're seeing our stories being told through the, the, the current lens of what we are sort of undergoing. So I think it's, it's only gonna, you know, it's only the, the, the tip of the iceberg at this point. You know, I'm, I'm just waiting for the Latino uh, counterpart to, uh, you know, a Jordan Peele that could do the same. I mean, I hope to be that person at some point, but I think there are a lot of us out here that are sort of sharpening the pendles to do that. Edwin, so what we can say is that once we've proven that our horror stories could be on Hollywood, uh, they'll win the Oscar. And I think we could see this with Coco from Pixar. Uh, That was all Dia de los Muertos. And so they managed to capture sort of a romantic horror, uh, Mexican horror culture. Uh, that ended up winning an Oscar. And then when you look at Pan's Labyrinth, the Guillermo del Toro and Alejandro Amenabar, and you just see that the real masters of horror filmmaking are Latino. Uh, They're they're, they're, they're Spanish-speaking directors. Um, But we really don't have like a Latinx director that does horror movies, sort of uh, as to what you were saying, like that Latinx counterpart, it might, you know, Edwin Pagan might be the next guy who does that. But, why is it, with that said, why is it that we, like a, a, like a story like the Chupacabra, why isn't that a major studio, even Bloomhouse, who's heard the Chupacabra for a hundred years, why is it that we have never been able to sell that pitch, to have that Chupacabra horror concept for a major Hollywood movie studio company like a Warner Brothers to do a proper chupacabra story, what is it that we've never been able to do it? We've well, the- oh, hold on a sec, Jack. I love your questions. I'm just gonna say, I love <laughs> no, that's a great question. And and you and the base of it is that we haven't tapped, we haven't cracked the uh, the market. Um, you know, we are we we do over index and sort of buying tickets, but I think what happens is overall, I mean, our buying power. Um, in the United States is massive, but we ha- we have yet to spend it on our own product, if that makes sense. I'll give you a perfect example. I grew up in the South Bronx, and I was together with my African-American uh, brothers, elbow to elbow, every day. That's it, period. Uh, I would say 80 in my teenage years, 80% of my, my girlfriends during that time were African-American, right? Like, we didn't make a distinction in, in the neighborhood. And, and w- I would go and watch all, let's say, you know, Warrington's films, right? Uh, you know, the, 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 the hip-hop movies that they did with Kid and Play. Uh, you know, I would see that, but if a movie came out that was sort of on the end that was made by Latinos, I, I, I was a little bit embarrassed that I would want to go see that, right? This is like the 80s. And I think that what hasn't happened is that we haven't gravitated towards something that we feel is cool about us in cinema, uh, to then all of a sudden, like, jump on it. I think, like, for instance, when you talk about the animated film, Coco and others, like, you know, they they have because it sort of crossed over and a general population has endorsed it. I thought when Robert Rodriguez started getting into the pulp film and sort of did his network, 
mm. uh, the Ray Network that I think they were going to really like cross that over. But then he got into just pulp stuff and, and really just like repurposing uh, older stuff into this kind of like, you know, that should be the guy. If there's a, if there's any one guy that you could say, Hey, listen, if you just tweak your pulp, exactly, just make it a little bit more hard. It's already there. It's there. You it's could blow there. it up. It's there. And, you know, I wrote an article, I think back in 92 and it was about specifically how at that time there was this whole thing about the Latino explosion, right? Ricky, uh, you know, Ricky was doing it, um, General Lopez, Mark Anthony. Uh, there was all this thing about how all of a sudden Latinos were going to just break through into the mainstream. And I remember having a conversation to Moctezuma Espalsa, who did the film Selena, right? He produced it. He also produced uh, Introducing Dorothy Dandridge. I was on the board of the National Association of Latino Independent uh, Producers, NALIP. And I remember he read the thing and I interviewed him for that. And he says, you know, what he was concerned about is that he says, wherever there's an explosion, a, a deafening silence follows. And he was afraid that we were just a momentary firecracker um, and then that the audiences would just sort of all of a sudden not really be there, right? Because it was more hype about how the American mainstream all of a sudden thought it was cool to sort of talk about Latino, our music, our, our, our dancing, but it wasn't really, it hadn't gained traction on, on that end. And I think that's still to happen on our end. I certainly see it happening on the African-American side with a lot of different things. And I think it's like it's reaching critical mass now where even like, you know, like every other film that I'm seeing that's coming out of horror has, you know, African-American characters as central roles and, you know, behind the camera, in front of the camera. But we haven't cracked it yet, I would say. Edwin, but the actual Chupacabra, I'm sure somebody's pitched it to one of these major studios. I'm sure Bloomhouse I'm sure. Uh, has I'm heard. Sure. I'm sure the guy got a deck somewhere. And the deck said, here's a Chupacabra horror concept. Is the Chupacabra, is the story of the Chupacabra adaptable to film? I believe it is. I believe it is. It's, it's just another version of a boogeyman. But I, I can I can't imagine that it's in a, on a deck somewhere in many in many of these sort of producers. But again, they're not going to take the chance until they see the return on the investment to sort of pull out of that hat. All, the same as they used to have Rolodexes. Remember those? They also have these files with all that stuff. Right. I was doing reading. I was reading scripts and sorting scripts for Frida Torres Blanco, like, you know, just before uh, Pan's Labyrinth hit. She was the producer of that. And at that time, she was producing for the three amigos, all three of them down here in the city of Manhattan. Um, and um, and she had me looking for these things, and they were the ones that were stacked one tier, two tier, three tiers. And that stuff doesn't go away. It just gets categorized for when the, the when the temperature is right for that stack. You know what I mean? And so once we crack that, all of those scripts will start bubbling to the top. They just We just haven't seen the return on the investment yet. But I'm happy that, to see that Blumhouse is actually doing sort of lower budget stuff that's going straight to, uh, to TV and streaming. Yeah, Madres I thought was really good. Madres, Bingo That Night, was really good. Bingo, yeah, Bingo Hell I wasn't crazy about. Uh, I thought Adriana Barraza was fantastic. I thought the movie overall was terrible. Uh, but Madres, on the other hand... We're home. 
I know it doesn't look like much, but I think this is going to be a great new start for us. The perfect place to start our family. What was that? baby comes in a couple of months. You're first? Yes. How are you feeling? I got you this. It's very important for new mothers to be protected. Did you know the woman who lived here before us? Hallucinations, rashes. How long have you had this? What? The locals think it's a curse. Maldición! Women are not having babies here. Why are you doing this? What a nice surprise, little gem of a film. I really wasn't expecting it to be that good. And is I, I would I would think out of the series, it's it's one of the top surprises, sleeper hits that that he has. Yeah, the welcome to the Broomhouse series that they're doing. But I, uh, you know, I think it's I think it's there. I think it's just a matter of it. So sort of someone tripping it. I mean, look look what was happening on the African-American side. No one really was talking about horror about until Get Out cracked. And all of a sudden now it's the big thing, you know, to sort of like, kind of like replicate that to some degree. So all we need is one solid hit where we gra- gravitate to it and mainstream gravitates to it. And all of a sudden you'll see it sort of blowing out the box. Well, I agree with you hundred percent. And I think, you know, like any other industry, uh, Hollywood follows the money. Warrington and his brother created a genre. All of a sudden, they realized, oh, a silly black comedy can make a lot of money. All of a sudden, it became a genre. You know, we had Friday, and we had this, and we had all these other films. So I I do think you're right that it will take one film that, and and that's the other interesting thing about what you're saying, that, that zeitgeist thing, the whole idea of, like, one of the obstacles I think Latino horror has, and, and this, again, there's a lot of irony to me about the, the Latino's position. And, and I come from that science fiction perspective, like what are the humans doing now? So the, the Latino perspective now, all of this power, all of this, you know, all these things in which ways in which they're unified language, culture, food, this, that, and the other thing, but they're not a monolith. So, you know, what is it that would be unifying about Latino culture whether it's in horror, sci-fi, mainstream, that would start to make people go, oh, hey, it's cool to be, you know, just like, you know, black folks luckily have had a number of things that made us cool, whether whether we were respected or not. I'm just curious to you now, with all that's happening with horror, and you mentioned the idea that it could become this 
like what happened with black films, black exploitation. It could become com- incredibly exploitive. What's your perspective now? What do you think could unify horror, sci-fi? Because to me, they're very different, but they are very connected. It's a thin line between both of them because I grew up both loving horror and sci-fi. I think what's going to happen is like what we saw in Madres, for instance. When you tell a story that's universal, right, and, and always when people tell you to pitch a story, make sure it's universal. But if you, if, if you sort of tell a story that, that's engaging, um, like I saw a lot of people sort of support the film, right, and, and, and very proud about it, sharing it, et cetera. And I think that's what we need. I, I think that what happened for a, a number of years in the 90s and 80s, there were films out there that had us. In, in, in on the screen, but we were just caricatures, right? We were like the guy that would die in the first scene. Um, we were the neighbor. We were the sort of overhyped rear passenger guy, you know, shotgun, riding shotgun. And we had all the all the cute lines, all the funny lines, but, you know, we were in a dormant. And I think what you're seeing now is that you're seeing, you know, stories about us with us being told in a real in a real way. So I think that's all that has to happen, that we sort of, the stigma of what it used to be has to sort of first um, sort of seep out. And I think that's starting to happen, right? I think the more you're seeing, and I think it's happening in general. I mean, it's the difference between slasher films and what's happening now where we're moving a little bit away from that. I think we like the salt of it every once in a while, but we're not in the period like in the 90s and the early 2000s where it was all slasher. We just wanted that, that escapism and that sort of instant adrenaline rush. I think now people are coming back and you see it on TV, you see it on our programs, you see it on the episodic TV, where people are coming back to like very sort of cerebral and engaging and character-driven um, content. And Latin horror is all about that, right? Because our stories are all about sort of being told the more of a slow boil. Yeah, there's going to be killings and there may be blood in it, but it's really about character development and what people are, you know, that's what makes it the most horrific is you sort of get to know these people and then they're in these sort of very like horrific situations. And as the taste pivots back the other way now for more cerebral content, Latin horror is right in there because our stories are about that, you know. And a lot of the stuff that's happening down in Argentina and in Spain and in Brazil, you're starting to see all this horror come out that's really deep with character development and stories that that are told with really smart dialogue. It isn't just, uh, you know, oh, you know, uh, well, what's the famous line? Uh, hey, what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> that's right. That's right. And so I think we've gotten past that. And we can insinuate that, but we can do that in a more clever way. And I think the audiences are demanding more sort of intelligent um, content for their money. So I think that's going to that's gonna bode well in our favor. And there's a, there's a thing that I forgot to mention earlier when you said the whole thing about us over-indexing, the, the, the discussion that I had with Jason Blum, and, and I've seen this before, not just now, but before, um, is that women out of that indexing Believe it or not, women are the higher percentage among. Listen, among I the, have uh, never met a Latina that does not love horror films. I don't know if that's a cliche, but I've never met one. So, and that's not the first time I'm hearing that because when we did a promotion back in the day, and think in 2005, it was the the Exorcism of Emily Rose, and that's the first time after that film came out, and it did really, really well in theaters for a little low budget, um, you know, film kind of independently uh, produced. Um, and even back then they were saying that, you know, it was like 52% Hispanic. And then out of that, the majority was women. 
you know, so it's, it's a slow boil. It's kind of, you think, uh, you know, like geological terms, it's still just bubbling, but we're going to get there. And then to leave it on a light note, Edwin, when will we see Guillermo del Toro and Jordan Peele collaborate on what could be an earth shattering <laughs> horror film? Latinos, blacks in one single movie. That's right. I, man, from, from your lips to God's ears, because I've been talking about that quite a bit, how I would love to do that. And, you know, it's only going to be a matter of time. Come on, everybody's collaborating. Yeah, can you imagine? Can you imagine these guys? Bro, they, I, I just don't know how that hasn't happened it will, already. It will. But remember, uh, Jordan Peele is uh, kind of in the spectrum of stuff, even though he's been around a lot with his sort of slapstick humor and the and the sketch comedy, he is relatively new to the horror, even though he's hit the, the scene big. So I think it's only a matter of time before, you know, they are, they, they keep, they look toward each other and say, we should do something. Yeah, yeah. And, and Mike has to do the trailer. All right, Mike. All right, let, let, let's set up the, 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 the mics. All right, here's the horror film. Introduce the trailer for Guillermo del Toro and Jordan Peele. Go for it. Guillermo del Toro and Jordan Peele produce the scariest film you've ever seen. <laughs> I'd buy that ticket. I'd buy right that now, ticket. I'm in. I'm totally in. <laughs> yeah. From writer-director Edwin Pagan. <laughs> That's all she wrote. Yes! There all you of your nightmares begin <laughs> here. Yes! As, as, Farrell, as Farrell said, so let it be written, so let it be done. <laughs> let it be done. <laughs> Edwin, thank you so much for being on the Brown and Black podcast. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Last, wait, last question, Edwin. Yes. What's your favorite horror film of all time? True. The Exorcist. That's an easy yeah, one. The that's Exorcist. an easy oh, one, okay, man. Okay, okay, all right. It's, all it's right. Evergreen, too. I can watch that tonight, and, and I'm right back to when I was 10 years hey. old watching it, my brother. Oh, okay, all right. What about you, Jack? What's your favorite horror White film? supremacy is by far... The biggest <laughs> horror film. The ongoing horror film. It's the film. ongoing <laughs> white supremacy. White supremacy. <laughs> In the neighborhood, we near you. It's right. You guys are awesome. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you. Thank you, man. All right, Edwin. Thank you so much, man. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Always, Jack. Pleasure. That's it for the 63rd episode of Brown and Black. We'd like to thank Edward Pagan for being on the show. And if you'd like to support this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. Your help will allow us to be heard by many more people. This episode was edited by Joshua Torado. You can follow our comments and opinions on at Brown Black Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We'll see you on the next episode of Brown and Black. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.